Welcome. It's good to see everybody this uh, morning. Uh, we are on a 10-week series, and we're on week 9 of, of 10 weeks. We've been talking about God and our greatest fears, and this week we're going to talk about the greatest fear. read an article about the fears that all of us face, and they listed the fears in order, and, and this is number one. We are going to preach next week on this topic as well, but um, I did this one because uh, we're going to do a little bit of review next week, so I did this one because we need a, um, the full 30 minutes during this uh, fear because it is the greatest so uh, out of all the fears, which one is the greatest? Number one, our top fear in life is the fear of failure. Going back to the last couple of weeks, we talked about fear of losing our freedom, fear of the unknown, fear of pain, fear of misery, disappointment, fear of loneliness, fear of rejection, and, and fear of death. But one that trumps them all is the fear, uh, the fear of failure. And if you look at those and think, boy, this is, uh, um, is this um, compared to some of these? Uh, but according to this article, it described that our behaviors, our actions, our emotions are motivated and driven by this fear of, am I going to fail or am I not going to fail? And therefore, it is something that literally controls our life. So if we're looking at the fear of failure, we need to ask, uh, what does the Bible say about failure? So we'll just break this sermon down into three different aspects, what the Bible says about failure and then also uh, how God uses failure, and then how we can overcome the fear of failure. Here's what the Bible says about failure. Number two, the Bible doesn't give anyone any sympathy in regards to the fear of failure. Now, I had someone last night that said, you know, there's it's kind of a rough sermon. You weren't very uh, gentle whatsoever um, in regards to the sermon. I said, well, and it was the first one they heard out of the, the concept of fear. And I said, well, make sure you go back to the internet and you listen to the other ones, because the other ones carry a lot of sympathy from the Word of God. But when it comes to the fear of failure, when you read the Word of God, there's not a lot of sympathy that comes from its pages. Almost comes out when you feel like, God, you know, I'm, I'm such a loser. You read the Bible, it's like, God says, get over it. <laughs> You know, or, God, I'm, I'm so unsuccessful. He just says, knock it off. God, there's no way that I can do this. Read the Bible. It's almost a concept that says, you know, just suck it up and start complaining. God, there's no way that this is going to turn out good. God looks at you and says, just make it happen. God, I'm incapable. The Bible, in roundabout way, says, just toughen up. Jeremiah 8, 4 through 5. Jeremiah says to the people, this is what the Lord says. When people fall down, don't they get up again? When they discover they're on the wrong road, don't they turn back? Then why do these people stay in their self-destructive ways? Why do the people of Jerusalem refuse to turn back? According to this, God is saying, isn't it obvious that if you fall down, you just automatically get up and, and, and keep moving? Proverbs twenty four sixteen says, the godly man may trip seven times, but they'll obviously get up again, but they'll get up again. An assistant from Thomas Edison once tried to console Thomas Edison because he was doing some uh, um, experiments to try to achieve a goal, to try to achieve a result, and, and he kept on failing. So this uh, assistant went up to him and he said these words, it's too bad, he said, to all that work and have zero results. Oh, said Mr. Edison, we have lots of results. We know 700 things that will not work. Therefore, he keeps on moving. Uh, when you look at the fear of failure, God says, keep on going. Keep your head high. Keep moving strong. Keep moving fast. And do not go low. 
even when it comes to sin, sin is an ultimate failure, a failure that, that beats us up, a failure that tears us down. What's God's result, um, response to us, and even regard to sin? This is God's response to us. First John 1 John 1.9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If you look at that verse very closely, God asks one thing of you. He says, you confess, and then I'll give you four things. You confess, I will be faithful, I will be righteous, I will forgive you, and I will cleanse you. You do one, I'll give you four. You see what's taking place is God saying, you can't overcome sin if you believe you're defeated by it. You can't overcome sin if you are swallowed by it. Therefore, confess and get out of the hole, put your head up, and fight the sin rather than confess, go into the hole, be defeated by your sin, be emotionally damaged by your sin. That's not the way that God works. God works says, no, i got to lift you out of the hole. Therefore, it is forgiven, and since it is forgiven, now you can start fighting it because you can't fight it in regards to being defeated. That's why failure has the power to ruin, to ruin us, mostly even in regards to sin. So how does God use failure? Three, God uses failure to make us strong. When we look at the office of President of the United States, uh, you see many um, men that um, have been in that office that are strong, that are powerful. And when you observe them, you think that they probably come from very strong families, uh, very uh, uh, wealthy families, and probably from a prestige um, um, life before they can enter into that office. One of the strongest presidents that have ever entered that office is Abraham Lincoln. What was Abraham Lincoln's life like? You might think that he had a wonderful family. You might think that he was very successful to get to that office. Um, I'd just like to read you his life. Um, this, was, uh, um, this was written by Chuck Swindoll. I'd just like to read you just kind of a, a summary of his life. Lincoln was born in 1808. His mother died when he was nine years old. His father was illiterate and wandered from job to job. In 1831, Abe Lincoln attempted a career of business. He failed miserably. One year later, he ran for legislature. He didn't make it either. The, the same year he ran for legislator, he lost his job. He then applied to law school. When he applied, they laughed at his qualifications. Not long after the humiliating ordeal, he started another business, using money he borrowed from a close friend. Before the year was over, the business went bankrupt. He then spent 17 years paying off the bankruptcy debt. Then in 1835, he fell deeply in love with Anne Rutledge, only to have his heart broken when she died soon after the engagement. The following year, Abraham Lincoln had a complete nervous breakdown, and he spent the next six months in bed. Then in 1838, he sought to become Speaker of the State Legislature. He was defeated. In 1840, two years later, he sought to become the elector of the state. He was defeated again. Three years later, he ran for Congress. He lost. 1849, he ran for Congress, and he won. But he ran for re-election two years later, and he was overwhelmingly defeated again. In 1854, he ran for Senate of the United States. Again, he lost. 1858, sought the vice president nomination at the party's national convention. 
He got less than 100 votes, suffering yet another embarrassing defeat. Then in 1858, he ran for the U.S. Senate, and he lost again. Then in 1860, Abraham Lincoln ran for the President of the United States. He won. And soon after that, he was elected. America um, endured the most devastating war the country has ever experienced. His perseverance rewarded him an extreme political success. He was the president of a nation for seven years before he was assassinated. Thirteen defeats, one win, seven years. Whenever we think of Abraham Lincoln, we think of a powerful man. But we needed his resolute, and where did he get his resolute? Was it an entire life of failure that made him strong enough to save the country, (laughs) to have the backbone, to make sure that his determination to stand for what he believed in existed and would not break as a result? The problem problem is not that we fail. Um, According to Chuck Swindoll, the problem is that we just don't fail enough to get to the point to say, God, I give up take control, use me, because I am incapable. God wants to work through every single individual, and we protect ourselves in our image, thinking, I can do it, and when we try, we fail, therefore we step back and don't give ourselves to God. Maybe failure would be something where God is asking us, the reason why you fail is because I want you to be dependent. Romans 8, 3 through 5 And not only this, but we also exalt in our tribulations, knowing that the tribulations bring about perseverance, and perseverance, proven character, and proven character, hope, and hope does not disappoint, because the love of God has been poured out within our hearts through the Holy Spirit who was given to us. And our lives, are God going to see our accomplishments, or does God really want people in our lives to see the Holy Spirit working through us. Often God has to defeat us so people can see the Holy Spirit working through us. Number four, God uses failure to make you dependent. Have you ever thought about the disciples? Um, I think the most fascinating thing about the disciples is uh, why were they picked in the first place? Um, and the reason um, why, I mean, we, we ask that question, why were they picked? I mean, there was a lot of people that Jesus could have chosen from, I mean, he could have gone to the temple, and you have um, the people that were educated, the Pharisees, you had the Sadducees. I mean, these people were dedicated to Scripture. Some of these people memorized the entire Pentateuch. But here you have the disciples. What were they? Dirty old fishermen. They were just kind of almost redneck people that uh, um, were what? Maybe loyal. Redneck people that really didn't have talents, but they had passion people that didn't really even have the intellectual abilities, but yet they were loyal, willing to depend on Jesus. You know, when Jesus prayed for these individuals, it's really interesting what those prayers would have been. It's not recorded in Scripture how Jesus prayed for them, but what am I looking for in individuals to change the world? And then he goes down to the sea and picks the dirty old fishermen. I know a pastor that was going through a a job interview and and the board uh, of directors didn't think that he was qualified for the job. Uh, so they gave him a whole bunch of different questions to see how he had answered these different questions. And, and one of the questions was, 
list the reason why you think you're capable of shepherding the flock of our church. So he writes out this answer. Jesus came to earth to give mankind an opportunity to be saved. God wanted his salvation message to be carried out through the generations, so he built his church. Jesus built the church by selecting 12 individuals to train and grow close to. In the first couple chapters of each gospel, you see Jesus selecting these individuals. During the selection process, Jesus avoided the education, experience, the religious individuals in the temple. He then sought after the loyal, strong, humble, dedicated, dirty old fishermen. I believe that these were the characteristics that he was looking for because he did not want talent to run his church. He wanted the Holy Spirit to run his church. John 15, 5 says, apart from me, you can do nothing. Philippians 4, 13 says, I can do everything through Christ who gives me strength. No man is capable of shepherding the flock at your church unless his primary objective is to be ministered, is to, is to, objective is his ministry to be led by the Holy Spirit. Let's just look at these verses, John 15, 5. Apart from me, you can do nothing. What does that verse say? That verse says, you're a failure before you even start it. Before you even speak, you're a failure, you're a sinner, you're somebody who is lost before you even spoke. But hear the words, I can do everything through Christ who gives me strength. These are the two words from failure to success. Now these aren't the words that the world preaches, the modern world preaches, but this is the word that God preaches. We can all do absolutely nothing, and if we want to accomplish anything, it can only be through the power of Christ our Lord. Number five, God uses your failure to strip you of your pride so his name can be exalted through your life. I read this somewhere or heard it somewhere, and I'm not even sure where I heard it, but I will never forget it because it's always in my mind. Uh, the comment is, God's name saves, my name isn't worth a hell of beans. And I always think about that. God's name saves, my name's not worth a hill of beans. And those are words that a preacher should be, should be hearing, thinking that, okay, if I'm going to come up here and talk, is it my name that should be proclaimed? Because if it is, people are ruined. Is it God's name that should be proclaimed? And when God's name is proclaimed, what takes place? Salvation is presented. A Puritan prayer says this that I have in my prayer journal and I read often. It says, God, when I am strong, then you are shown as weak. When my intelligence rises, then your wisdom is hidden. When I am the leader, you are portrayed as being on the bench. God, strike me down if I proclaim my name instead of yours. 2 Corinthians 4, 7 says, But we have the treasure in earthly vessels, so that the surpassing greatness of the power will be of God and will not be from where? From ourselves. Therefore, we are afflicted in every way, but we're not crushed. We're perplexed, despairing, but we're not despairing. We're persecuted, but we're not forsaken. We're struck down, but we're not destroyed. 
always caring about in the body the dying of Jesus so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our body. You see what failure does, even to the apostles and to the disciples. God says, I want to plant the church, and what I want to do with the church is that people need to see me. The people need to see the Holy Spirit in you. Therefore, you will fall, you will fail, but what happens? You're not crushed, you're not abandoned, you won't be struck down, because even in your failure, stand strong, and if you do, my name will be proclaimed. Charles Spurgeon said, God usually uses not men of great brain and vast mind, but men of true-hearted, deep natures, with souls that can desire, souls that can pant, souls that can long, souls that can heave, and souls that can throb. What does that quote mean? It means that we're all qualified because we do have souls that can long and heave and pant and desire and study and to know what God wants from us. So if we're having a problem with fear, how can we overcome this, this monster of fear? According to that article, fear is, is things that hold us back. Fear is one of um, our greatest, fear of failure is one of our greatest things that we're facing. So here we are. How do we overcome this fear um, of failure? Number six, to overcome the fear of failure, live proclaiming God's name, not your own. One name will be exalted in our life. One name will be exalted in our life. And what we get to do is we get to choose what name you're going to proclaim, whether it's going to be God or it's going to be yours. And what takes place is as long as we proclaim our name instead of God's, we will always be defending ourselves. We will always be fighting. We will always be arguing. We will always be justifying because we, according to the Bible, are failures to even start with. We cannot accomplish anything without Christ. Therefore, if it is our names that we try to proclaim, or our names we push forward, our names we try to make happen, your life will be fail, 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 fail. And when you die, you will get the ultimate, you live for yourself. The ultimate failure. What? You didn't embrace God, therefore depart from me. Go away from me. But if our names we have two names. If our passion is to exalt God's name, can you fail? Or is everything you do for God going to be a success, even if it looks like a failure? Second Corinthians twelve nine is a passage written by Apostle Paul, a very successful person. But why was he so successful? This passage gives us an explanation of why um, uh, why I believe and why he believes that he was so successful. And he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for power is perfected in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, I will rather boast about my weakness so that the power of Christ may dwell in me. Therefore, I am well content with weakness, with insults, with distresses, with persecutions, with difficulties. For Christ's sake, for when I am weak, then he is strong. What's interesting about Apostle Paul is that he had 
a strong desire in his life. And his desire was to get to Rome. I'm going to get to Rome, and I'm going to proclaim the gospel to God in Rome. And he was pushing all the way through these different cities and these different towns to, for the purpose of getting to Rome and building the church. He made it to Rome, but he wasn't there very, he wasn't there extremely long before he was even martyred. But what's interesting about Paul's ministry is um, he wanted to go to Rome to preach the gospel, but what prevented him from going to Rome? All that prison time, all that time where he got locked up, thrown into a jail, and says, you are going to stay here until you are dead. So what did he do in prison? Well, there's absolutely nothing to do in prison, except maybe write some letters. So what did he do? He started writing letters. And where do we get the Pauline epistles? Most of the Pauline epistles come from the dungeon in prison from Rome. How powerful was Paul? Here Paul is writing letters thinking, what am I doing in this prison? If I could just do something and be in Rome, then I'd be happy. Then things would work. But no, he's in prison instead, just writing these letters to send them out to the church. And those are the letters that we have been reading for 2,000 years. Those are the letters that has changed the world. So Paul might have had something in mind, get to Rome, but God had something other in mind, and it was dependent on Paul's faithfulness or his lack of faithfulness. Paul's following God or Paul not following God. And he says these words that when I am weak, God is strong. Also can mean that if I'm weak, God is working behind the scenes. So when I fail, I might not be failing as long as I'm in God's will. Number seven, to overcome the fear of failure, live seeking the favor of God, not people. Wilson Woodrow said, I'd rather fail in a cause that will ultimately succeed than to succeed in a cause that will ultimately fail. So you have two names that you want to exalt, but you also have to think of two different causes that you're going to live by. Are we going to live by ours, or are we going to live by, by God's? Am I going to seek the favor of people, or am I going to seek the favor of God? So we have to make that decision. Um, as we look at trying to make that decision, we have to ask our question, is that if we do seek the favor of people, and we win the favor of people, and not God, how long does it last? rest of your life? Maybe. When you get older, maybe it will keep there. But of course, when you die, you're standing alone before God. Are you going to hear, well done, good and faithful servant, what you have done for me or what you have done for the people? If you seek the favor of God, you will always succeed. If you seek the favor of people, you might temporarily succeed every once in a while, but you'll often fail, and of course, discouragement will continue to come. That's why Paul has written in Galatians 1.10, saying, For am I seeking the favor of men or of God? Or am I striving to please men? If I trying to please men, I would not be a bondservant of God. Therefore, Paul splits it in half. You get to please one or you get to please the other. We get to exalt our name or we get to exalt God's name. We get to choose in those two areas. Number eight, to overcome the fear of failure, Live for God's will, not our own. 
Pastor D and I were just kind of talking in the office last week, and, and we were talking about history and reminiscing about history. This church has uh, been here for over 40 years. Um, I've been here for 11 years, so I have not seen much of the history. So I uh, posed the question and says, you know, to talk a little bit about what has taken place in the history, because I want to know what the history of Jefferson Baptist Church is. And, and he told different stories and uh, what has taken place. And there's a couple things that he said that were um, striking, and this was not in arrogance whatsoever, and he had no expectation that I'd even share it and probably would even get frustrated if I did, but I'll share it anyway since he's upstairs praying and not in this room. One thing that uh, um, he did is that uh, there's a time that uh, he sold his house, and a special offering was going to take place. And as a special offering was going to take place, there was not enough to complete the project at hand. So he looked at the equity that he made in the house, and he said, well, what I'll do is I'll just put all of it <laughs> in there and not tell anybody, never told anybody, just threw it all in there to make sure that that, that project would happen. It's also a time during a special offering when a project needed to be done that they were short, and the bill was at hand. And he's made a very strong commitment that the church will not be in debt ever, but that doesn't mean that he won't be in debt. He went down to the bank, and he went and got a $10,000 loan, and, uh, and he put it into the special offering, and the loan was under his name, and then they quietly paid it back, you know, as fast as they, as fast as they possibly could. When I was hired, two staff were hired, and um, being two staff, you know, putting two staff on, uh, it's definitely going to be a, a pay um, difficulty to take place. And uh, sure enough, he said, well, I'll take the pay cut to make sure that we can get both of these staff is on. And therefore, it took, you know, kind of a large, significant pay cut to make sure that other staff could be on so the ministry would keep moving forward. So here is uh, somebody that was not after exalting his name. Therefore, what he did is he worked underneath the scenes to make sure that he was faithful to God. And today what we can do is we can look at the church and we can see activity after activity after activity and church being planted and see the success. But we can ask the question, is it the success come from a person or does success come from faithfulness in, in people? Christ does not say, well done, good and successful servant. Christ says, well done, good and faithful servant. So when you look at our lives, and when we are living and moving forward, we have to ask the question, am I going to be faithful or am I going to be successful? Faithful is sacrificing for God's will rather than working towards our own. We live in a world which in our mind demands success, but where does it demand success? It demands success in the individual. And if you're successful, I will hire you, and you can climb the ladder for our corporation, our company, but it's kind of opposite with God. With God, it's like, don't try to be successful. Be faithful in the quiet hours. Be faithful underneath the surface. Be faithful when nobody else sees it, and as a result of that faithfulness, success is going to rise. But who does it rise on? You would have never known the information if I didn't give you this morning. Therefore, it is rised on God because somebody was faithful in what was given to him. Romans 12, 1 says, Therefore, I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as living and holy sacrifices, acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. What's that verse saying? It's saying, give yourself 
to God. Don't give yourself to people. Give yourself to God. Be faithful. Don't try to be successful. Number nine, the fear of failure is Satan's method of paralyzing the church. If you are a Christian, you have a spiritual gift. That gift that is inside of us, God is desiring to use it. And God wants it proclaimed to the world. Because inside that gift that each of us have is a Holy Spirit's voice to proclaim to the world that He is alive. Now there's something that gets away in the spiritual gift. The thing that gets in the way of the spiritual gift is, if I start moving over, am I going, I going to fail? If I start stepping forward and doing this, are people going to laugh at me? If I make something happen, am I really stepping out of my comfort zone to the point where it could be destructive to me personally? Therefore, I think I'll hold that gift back. Satan says, fail, fail, fail. You're going to fail. You're going to fail. It is something that he consistently giving us. In God's response, of course you're going to fail, fail, fail. And in the process of doing it, my power, my name will be proclaimed. Therefore, the challenge is, is to, to think about what God has given you in your life. And don't let anything, failure, stop you in anything whatsoever. Because failure is from failure in regards to, the fear of failure comes from the enemy, does not come from the Holy Spirit. God wants you to embrace him, walk with him, move with him, with courage, with strength, and with your head held high, playing on the offense rather than the defense. God, we just thank you that you have uh, pursued us, and uh, we just thank you, God, that we don't have to make an impression on others. That all we need to do, God, is, is live for you and be faithful to you, and your name will make the impression on others. Thank you, God, that we do not have to work our way to success. Thank you, God, that we do not have to accomplish anything. We just have to be loyal, dependent, humble, motivated, and in love with you. God, what an awesome mission that is. And I just pray that you will empower each of us, God, as individuals to embrace that mission. We love you. In Christ's name, amen.